Hi, welcome to Cinemad. Today's podcast is with the founders of Light Industry, a micro-cinema in Brooklyn specializing in avant-garde and unusual film. Ed and Tom are not only human databases of art film history, they also know the hurdles of how to run a film festival and how to put on unusual types of screenings. I met Ed Halter in 2001 when he was festival director of the New York Underground Film Festival, which he ran for over a decade. And I met Thomas Beard sometime around 2005 when he was a film programmer for the Avant-Garde Film Fest in Austin, Cinema, Texas. Ed, Thomas. I'm here with Ed Halter and Thomas Beard from Light Industry. Um, for the sake of people who might not know what Light Industry is, how do you describe it to others? Well, uh, it's a venue for film and electronic art. Uh, we host a regular series of events, screenings, performances, lectures, that kind of thing, um, uh, at our space. and uh, In Brooklyn. In Brooklyn, yeah. Soon to be in Greenpoint. And you guys, what was the first place that you guys were at? Uh, we were in a, uh, for the first two years, we were in Sunset Park, Brooklyn, which is a not, not a destination neighborhood for most people. It's kind of an industrial and residential neighborhood that uh, when we first started there, many people we spoke to like, wait, Sunset Park, where is that, you know? Um, and we were in this amazing space, which was part of uh, a six million uh, square foot complex called Industry City, which wow. is a kind of old, uh, one of the first, I think it was the first industrial park in the world. Uh, it's mm. over 100 years old. And uh, we were on this big unused fa factory floor that they were uh, donating spaces to artists and arts groups to kind of, you know, uh, start a kind of mixed use experiment that's still going on there. Well, because it's, it's still home to a lot of actual yeah. light industry. Yeah, actual know, light. Manufacturing, manufacturing storage. Yeah, storage. Oh, okay. There was a flavor factory next to us, uh, actually a very old flavor factory, so things What's would smell mean? like a mixture of like bubblegum, caramel, and like hot butter popcorn at the same time. Like yeah, down the it was street. like very, it was very Snapple. Yeah, they made they <laughs> but, made flavors for Snapple, but uh, yeah. So we were in this beautiful um, industrial loft uh, uh, in the middle of what felt like in the middle of nowhere. Although it's it's funny though because not really if you live in the neighborhood, I suppose. But. Our, our events would be in the evening, and uh, people would come, oh, yeah. and by the time you know seven o'clock or whatever, by the time people would arrive. Uh, the whole place would seem abandoned because all the people that worked there and the trucks com coming in and out every day were gone. Yeah. Um, so oftentimes people would get written about um, as uh, light industry like, sets up shop in some abandoned factory when in fact it's <laughs> yeah. a six million square foot industrial complex, 90% of which I think is in use Something with like that. You know, um, manufacturing. And also that, that would really make the, uh, the people who ran Industry City very unhappy when people say that because <laughs> the whole concept was that they wanted to like, promote that they were doing this mixed use, like having real industry and, and arts in the same space rather than saying the typical thing being like something stops being used for industry and it starts being used for art. Their whole idea was that they could just do both at the same time. Hmm. And so when people would come and say that like, oh, light industry set up, set up shop, squatted in an abandoned <laughs> warehouse. It's like, no, this isn't squatting at all. We're working with them to, to make this happen. And so... But it, it, it was a very breathtaking location, though. I mean, it was on the water. Uh, when people would arrive at night, it would be, like Thomas said, abandoned, cobblestone streets. And no one would be, there would no be no one, one else in the street except the people that were going to light industry. Sometimes, like, there were times when there would be storms off the water, and there'd be literally, like, kind of, like, little mini tornadoes down the alleyways. Like, it was really, it was really great. We have lots of beautiful, uh, you know, Bellatar-esque photos of that area. Um, but it's... Um, uh, yeah, so that was our first location. And then our second location for most of last year was we moved downtown to downtown Brooklyn. Uh, another location that's not really a big destination for the arts yet, although it seems to be starting to get more and more like that. Mm -hmm. And we were in another unused space, this time a, 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 a very, very large um, uh, storefront that was originally part of the old Macy's downtown. Well, it was originally an A&S, which was a... Oh, right, I'm sorry, the other yeah, way around. It was, yeah, it was, it was originally a, an A&S. Mm -hmm. uh, and then A&S became Macy's, but then somehow they kind of jettisoned this one part of the, uh, of, of the, of the building. Um, and, you know, it's not been rented for years. It's still not rented. Uh, and we, were, we went through a, a, a kind of Brooklyn borough program that put arts organizations in unused retail spaces during the like really height of the um, recession, real estate-wise. So uh, we were in there for almost a year. 
and we shared that space with Triple Canopy, which is an online magazine, and uh, the Public School New York, which is a kind of alternative pedagogical model of free classes. Hmm. Uh, and so we, we shared that space because, you know, light industry happens basically once a week, maybe five times a month. We, we, we don't really need a space 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, and likewise, these other groups only use them certain days of the week. So together, we became this whole kind of arts and culture complex just by sharing the space in the same, say, at the same time. Um, and so in their mm -hmm. new space, all three groups have decided to keep that model because it really worked really well. Um, there was a lot of great cross-pollination between all our different constituencies. But the, the, yeah, the programs were yeah. kind of, there was enough overlap so that it made sense that we were working together or, or that we were that we were roommates, I guess. Yeah, um, we think of ourselves as roommates. <laughs> that's really the most apt, that's the most apt metaphor. I yeah. mean, the threes company thing comes up a lot. Yeah. There's no Mrs. Roper. There's no stoners that you have to like but tell to pay the bills though? No. Well, there's just well, the, well, the, well, basically, it's funny. Well, the public school doesn't really pay rent, but um, the, the public school is our stoner roommate. Though. Yeah, <laughs> just, but, like, we, but we love, we love them. so much. We yeah. don't care if they don't pay rent. They just kind of um, hang out and talk about philosophy and and, and you, you have know, to listen have, to all their four track yeah, music. Exactly. Yeah, no, no. We uh, the public school. I mean, the difference. But I mean, Triple Canopy and Light Industry are both real nonprofit organizations mm -hmm. that get grants and raise money and all this stuff. The public school is this interesting alternative model that actually has no real existence. It's simply kind of... It's a of, tool more than yeah, an organization. A, it, yeah. So they, um, yeah. So they have a website where you can sign up and uh, propose a class or propose to teach a class, propose to take a class, uh, and then it kind of self-coalesces into an actual class, and then mm -hmm. eventually they'll hold it. Um, and it's, usually, it's a free, uh, free class. So there's no kind of there's no kind of central organization that controls everything. I mean, there's a kind of organizing committee, but they're not the same thing as a board of directors or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. But and did you guys all find each other simply because of that spot? No. Um, <coughs> we worked with Triple Canopy with Triple before. Canopy, we had done a really great event at the, our in, industry city space mm -hmm. around Wang Bing. We showed Wang Bing's crude oil and then did a series of programs kind of around crude oil. Uh, and Triple Canopy, that was a kind of joint light industry and Triple Canopy week of events. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we originally knew Triple Canopy because Thomas and I had both written for them early on. Um, uh, I had written a piece about Jeff Krulik and Thomas wrote a piece about Michael Robinson. So we had, mm -hmm. you know, we knew them first that way. And interestingly, I think that light industry, Triple Canopy, and the public school all began around the same time yeah. in early 2008. And yeah. it's also kind of interesting that they are each... In, in their way are kind of proposing new models for cultural forms that are in transition. So the cinema, the magazine, right. the kind of alternative uh, school or free school. Yeah, um, yeah it's, each one is trying to say what, what would this form be in the early 21st century? How do we rethink mm -hmm. it? What do we do now? Um, yeah, so it, it, yeah, it's interesting that we ended up coming together. And were you guys rethinking the idea of um, not a not a necessarily a theater, but a place to see challenging work? Yeah, I made uh, the allusion to film festival work being difficult. Uh, for the most part, it's fulfilling, but you're going to be working a lot for very little money. It's it's rarely that it's well. A we're job. still we're still doing that. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. No, don't get me wrong. Yeah, this is true though. I mean, uh, Thomas and I obviously both came out of festivals and. You know, I don't think either of us really wanted the kind of, when you say difficult, meaning to be the actual person running it, is incredibly difficult. Festivals are incredibly, incredibly hard to run. I mean, you know, you program them as well. There's all this lead up and all this work to one week, and then you just show a ton of films and videos in one week, and then it's over, and then it's gone. And there are, there are many really amazing things about that model. One, I mean, one thing is that you have all these people in one place in time for social reasons. Uh, you can really see a wide variety of work at once. There can be really interesting juxtapositions through a week of what you'll see. Um, you have the room to do things like maybe multi-screening retrospectives or series. I mean, there's all very, there's very strong things that you can do with that model that we, we don't have with a weekly model. Yeah, that makes it continue, I think, to be a right. really yeah, vital model for film exhibition. Exactly, and a necessary one. But for us, we thought, you know, well, New York City is full of festivals. Even, you know, 
Uh, mm -hmm. there, are, there are great festivals. New York Underground was still going when we started, actually. Um, so there wasn't like we needed to replace New York Underground. And then eventually it became Migrating Forms. Uh, so that wasn't a need, really. That was happening. Um, but we really thought, well, how do we do this? In some ways, the model came about thinking, how do we do what we want to do with very little resources? You know? And we thought, well, once a week, uh, focusing on a single program, is a kind of thing where we could put lots of work and effort and care into that individual show uh, in a way that is possible with, our, with a workload. Uh, but also it means that that individual show has a kind of attention given to it that you couldn't get on a single show within a large, larger festival. In other words, with a festival, there's a real kind of like, okay, on to the next show, on to the next show. There could be um, multiple shows happening. Multiple shows happening at the same time. And, and then there's also the fact that I felt like, even though I had really incredible experience working on a festival like Cinema Texas, there's also a sense, if you're running a festival, that you can't truly appreciate it in a way. Like, because like, it's like, you, like while mm -hmm. it's happening. Right, you the know? people running it can't, don't really go to the festival. You don't, right. like, I, I can't tell you how many times someone that was working on New York Underground or would just, we'd talk to them and be like, yeah, I didn't see anything, you know, because they, they maybe they'll see screeners before or after, but they miss the actual event because you're so working so hard to make it happen behind the scenes. And so, like, Cinema Texas isn't even in one spot. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Cinema exactly. Texas would have been all like all over Austin. And Which is amazing. I mean, I think that was yeah, part of what made it. Yeah, it's great for the audience. Yeah, it's great for the audience, and yeah. it's great for the festival. I just think that there was something nice about having uh, shows once a week because it became a much more manageable yeah. project and like yeah like Ed said we could really kind of like devote ourselves to these individual shows and really give them um, kind of put a lot of uh, time and care into them and also another sort of central uh, or kind of key element to Light Industries uh, program is that we often have guests or almost always have guests most of the time you know, yeah um, uh, writers or curators or artists kind of come in to um, to organize um, the, the the shows or work with us mm -hmm. to organize the shows, so um, they're also really kind of like spending a lot of time, you know, um, you know, creating the program and uh, giving it shape. And on their end, it's just like one night, so it's not you know, it's right. no skin off their back to just like organize this this one night. Mm -hmm. But then, um, since there's a different person working on each one every week, more or less, and, you know, it, it means that week after week after week, you have these shows that. Um, have been, have been kind of given all this this uh, attention. Yeah, a lot of care has gone into the show because each person's like, oh, this is my one show, therefore they're going to really make it a really, really good show. Mm -hmm. um, and conversely, because of the way it's structured, we're able to have the time to work with that person and make it really, you know, really good and really kind of tweak it and make it, make it the best it can be. Mm -hmm. um, the other idea we had besides just uh, having the weekly thing for practical reasons is that it also has... Uh, you know, the ability to kind of create a community over time that will go to it. You know? yeah. So even though it's not like a festival where everyone's there, everyone flies in and you're there for like five, five days, ten days, um, there is a thing where like over time people come and they come regularly and we have a lot of, a lot of very regular uh, members, I mean, uh, me not members exactly, regular audience members I guess yeah. uh, that you could say that, um, that come to a lot of things. And we also the real concept behind light industry as well that makes it but similar to Cinema Texas and New York Underground in some ways is looking uh, at the cinema as a space that can be a crossroads between different worlds that are all devoted to say the film, the moving image, you know, video, electronic art, whatever you want to call it, um, but often are, are kind of disparate and, and not as connected as you think they'd be in New York. So even though New York has incredibly healthy scenes for things like documentary and the academic study of film and uh, contemporary obviously art. contemporary art and experimental cinema, um, uh, new media or new technologies, you know, uh, they don't come together as much as you might imagine. And so Light Industry's whole purpose was really to be a crossroads between these worlds. And so if you look at our calendar, it very carefully kind of is this uh, interweaving of those different uh, scenes. Um, With the idea being that uh, someone who comes to a Cory Archangel performance one week might also come back for some Straboyer film that Pedro Costa is introducing the, the next, next week, yeah. or vice versa. You know, and that they maybe um, wouldn't have gone to um, if the show had happened at some other venue that they didn't frequent, um, or yeah. was kind of like circulating 
you know, yeah, through some other some other channels. And even though something like, let's say, uh, anthology, for example, also includes a lot of those things, it's in such a large calendar that you don't have the kind of focus. I think people do still end up picking and choosing what they want to see and end up seeing the things within their world, maybe. Whereas with light industry, it's a very relatively minimal calendar compared to something like anthology. So once persons just starts getting the habit of going every Tuesday, they might just check out something they wouldn't normally see. Um, Did you guys pick Tuesday for a particular reason? Yes. Yeah. Actually. Well, it seems like kind of the, it seems that, that well, if you do something on, uh, th like Thursday is the night when, say, there are a lot of openings, yeah. um, or a lot of art openings. Mm -hmm. Monday is, um, sometimes it's a holiday. Football. You know, football, obviously. But also it's often people's busiest work for day. us. Sure. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so it seems like Wednesday, Thursday, they're off, that's often when um, events are happening, and then the weekend, forget about it, there are a million other things going on. So it seems like mm -hmm. Tuesday was this day that was the least likely to conflict with other things going on in the city. I mean, yeah. it's, it's New York, so there are always 10,000 things happening every night, but um, it seemed like there were, you know... 9,000 things happening. Yeah, and Tuesdays. we often break the Tuesday rule and do things on the weekend, especially if it's a much longer show that we want to do for the afternoon, or, mm -hmm. or sometimes a guest can't do that day, so we'll switch it to Monday or Wednesday or something. But mm -hmm. generally, it's Tuesday. Tuesdays. I mean, and that's the nice thing about keeping uh, light industry so minimal in its design. I mean, it's just me and Ed and our interns. And so... Uh, and our board of directors. And our board of directors, of course. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, yeah, there's a kind of freedom that if we, if some opportunity comes up and we don't want to just show a film, you know, next week, you know, the next week, um, we can. You know, that, yeah. that's something that a more institutional context wouldn't uh, afford us. Yeah, there's there's such huge pressure with like, for example, like a museum <clears throat> to fill a calendar. Yes. And, and once they start putting in a film program, it can't just be once in a while. It's yeah. got to be on a regular basis. Well, also it has to be w planned way ahead of time. So mm -hmm. one of the great things that's different, again, from a festival is that like, you know, we, some of our best shows came together at the very last minute. And while we don't want to always be doing last minute shows because <laughs> it's, it's, it's much more stressful, we've had some amazing uh, shows done relatively late. For example, one of the best examples of that was the last show that we did at our old space in downtown uh, Brooklyn. Uh, we realized that while we were taking apart the space, I and mean, we literally had to destroy the wall that we showed films on, and we had to take mm -hmm. down all this architecture we had built up in the space, and we realized, oh, wait a second, we're going to have a couple days where the whole space is completely open, like just a giant 5,000 square, 5, square feet, wow. giant high ceilings with all this dust in it. We were like, we should show Anthony McCall's uh, Line Describing a Cone and these other films that he made around the same time that have never shown. I mean, Line Describing a Cone shows from time to time. It's very famous. But very few people know that he made a suite of films around that same time that are all variations on Line Describing a Cone on 16mm uh, with different kind of shapes and, and rates and, and kind of uh, uh, parameters to them, like kind of uh, permutations of Line Describing a Cone. And so we... I con you know, we contacted him, and within just a few days, be uh, also because Anthony is very easy to work with and very, you know, amenable to that, uh, he's like, sure, let's do it. And we did this amazing show. And another amazing thing is that he talked about is that, you know, back in the early 70s, you know, there would be a lot of dust and like smoke in the air because of the it would be happening in these kind of rundown lofts. And so, line describing and people a cone, would be smoking. And people would be smoking, yeah. <laughs> And Line Describe Me a Cone didn't need things like fog machines to create that cone out of the projection beam wow. that it's so famous for. It just was there in the air. There's also lots of, of spontaneous but historically accurate smoking. Yeah. And so basically, <laughs> we, for a moment, there was this perfect environment to recreate that. Uh, and we did it. And it, it was great. And it came together very quickly. And it was an incredibly popular show. Um, yeah. And that, that brings up something... Um, that I always have to deal with working for film festivals is new versus old mm. projects. And now that you guys have been doing this, and even before, I'm assuming because you were doing the festivals, you ha you felt the same thing where what's new, what's recent, do we have to worry about a premiere? Do we have to worry about how many people have already seen it in this city? Now that you've got a different type of format for showing stuff, what are you finding as far as work coming to you? Like, what are you being seen? 
what are you seeing that you can support? Is it changing or is it similar? What do you mean exactly? Like what? <clears throat> well, like can you simply, well, you don't commission stuff, well, but you commission a curator. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. I think in terms of new versus old, I mean, I think that it's really, uh, we, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's definitely a mix of those things. There isn't, um, uh, I mean, there's certainly no pressure in terms of premieres or um, uh, things like that. And also, the kind of contemporary quality of it could mean, say, uh, it, you could have like a young artist in her 20s introducing some, you know, lesser known uh, structuralist films from the early 70s or something. So there you have this, you know, on the one hand, you're showing older work, but it, ha it has a kind of uh, urgency or relevance to a contemporary situation that might come through the person that's um, uh, organized the show. Or, I mean, it might just be, you know, um, someone presenting uh, new work. But I think that definitely we see the sort of curatorial purview of light industry as being effectively the whole history of cinema. So something from, you know, 2011 is uh, as relevant as something from 1985 or, you know, 1968. So um, there's definitely, I mean, definitely we're interested in, in, in showing, showing new work, but that's only part of a much broader pro program. Yeah, and while we don't, we, we don't have, unlike a festival, we don't have some sort of premieres policy or even think about premieres in that way, I think one thing we do have that's maybe similar is that we, we want things that haven't been seen, uh, people haven't had the chance to see. So in other words, if there's something that, say, let's say there's a, an amazing film that's in the essential cinema and anthology, and people can literally see it every year on, on schedule, um, it's not to say that we won't show that film, but that might not get as high priority. Because we, mm -hmm. yeah. we feel like if we're only doing one show a week, a si one single show a week, we really want that to be something that people really don't have a chance to see otherwise, or, or perhaps be show it in a context they would have no other way to have, you know? Um, so we want each, we, every show we want to be unique in that way and to have that kind of, um, I don't know, value. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think also when we're putting together the calendar, it's, um, we very much have at the front of our minds what else is going on in the city. Right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, like Ed said, if something, um, well, we certainly don't have a premieres policy. If something sort of just showed the month before an anthology, it seems less urgent to show it again mm -hmm. than something that hasn't, has never been seen in New York or hasn't been seen in New York in, um, in years. So I think that, um, I mean, film culture really is a kind of ecology or something in, in New York. And there are lots of, um, you know, there, 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 there are lots of different forces and kind of elements that, uh, at play, so um, we just sort of think of you know the question that we constantly return to is what our role is within you know um, that broader culture, that broader ecology, and what um, what's missing from it. You know what I mean. Even to see like New York, where there's such incredible variety of, of of things to see. I mean, almost more so than any other city on the planet, and yet still, um, you know, uh, it seems like there is something that light industry can add to it. Something that isn't you know. Um, uh, isn't being seen that needs to be. Are the crowds responsive to one kind of thing over another, or you know, I mean, you can't worry about it too much, but you do have to be interested. Oh, in mm. who's coming? Basically, like I, I run into a few folks that, well, avant-garde film pretty much stopped in '75 and are not interested in newer stuff. Well, I think it's different being in New York City because we have, like Thomas was saying, the the, the ecology here for cinema is so rich. Mm -hmm. maybe unique in the world to be honest about how much you can see avant-garde cinema that you we have a very sophisticated audience and we're spoiled in that way we can be incredibly obscure and we will have the audience for it yeah agree. I'm, I'm not sure that would work that way even a big right. city like la or even maybe even you know san francisco san francisco yeah. no i think it would work They're in probably san francisco the other town that could do it well i mean i think that we're we're lucky to be able to show kind of aggressively yeah. difficult and um, uh, obscure work and on average have more people coming than there are chairs. Totally. Yeah, it's um, like, and that, well, I will say one trend that we noticed early on that we didn't anticipate is that 
if we show something on 16 millimeter, it's almost guaranteed a full crowd. Like, I'm not saying that that has, mm. that, that sounds crude to say it that way. But I think it's also that there is a crowd in New York City that loves 16 millimeter and loves the, the history of it and contemporary use of it. And so there are very few venues that show it properly in the city. There are some, you know, obviously anthology shows mm -hmm. it all the time and, you know, but uh, I think that people, it, again, it sounds really crude to say it that simply, but if you want to look at statistically hmm. from how, you know, what's, what's it's, it, it is interesting to notice that people really love seeing 16 millimeter projected. Well, and also I feel like the fact that, um, the audience shows up is not, I mean, it, it isn't just, isn't just luck. It's like, Oh, who knew that like a hundred people will come to some factory in a yeah. part of town. They never been to, to see these joys, <laughs> these, these right. joys wheel and films like what luck. Um, I think that part of it is definitely that when we organize a show, you know, a lot of times we're going to be presenting work that, you know, the majority of people on our mailing list may, um, have never heard of, may be largely unfamiliar with, may have never seen. Um, and so, Part of what we do through our writing about the shows is essentially to um, make an argument for its urgency. You know, mm -hmm. like you may have never heard of Joyce Whelan, but yeah, you how how, <laughs> how obscure have you guys pushed it? Oh, jeez. I mean, the I mean, or it's too. It's, I mean, the, I don't. Yeah, I mean, it's bar, like it's the like, bar is too far. There's, yeah, there's no limit. I mean, <laughs> yeah, we are. I mean, it's also how difficult have we pushed it? No limit. Yeah. It's like feature by Peter Godal. Yeah, that's probably, that's, yeah. Sure, you know, um, and then like, you know, like, uh, you know, really hardcore British structural materialist film that is aggressively anti-pleasure, bring it. Like, yeah. we're, we're all, we love that. I mean, uh, that is interesting. There seems to be no limit to how the difficulty of the film, but also that's, you know, uh, in New York City, you have, like I said, a sophisticated audience that is seeking out those experiences and appreciates them and loves them. Uh, like when we showed uh, Michael Snow's Remo's Nephew, you know, that was an all-day affair pretty much. Mm -hmm. And it hadn't been shown, shockingly, it hadn't been shown for an incredibly long time when we looked into it. I mm. actually really, we really assumed it had been shown, say, at Anthology or something, but it, it had been a while. Well, I think that, I mean, but, Alan Licht, I think, showed it at one point at Anthology, but it was years ago. It was years at that point. So and is that on 16? It's on 16. It's how, how many hours is it? It's like a four-hour film. It's basically... A little over four hours, Michael yeah. Snow, it's, a, it's a, a really elaborate series of vignettes over this, you know, kind of four-hour um, film where Michael Snow is going through every imaginable permutation of sound-image relationship he can. Yeah. Sort of like every kind of sound-image experiment he can conceive of, he's working through in the course of this film. And mm -hmm. the funny thing is, is that actually um, it has, it really has, it, it has kind of a, um, kind of a, a a quick pace for a four-hour experimental film. Um, yeah. I mean, because, because it's, it's constantly because there's something so dynamic about how it's constantly like moving from experiment to experiment to experiment to experiment. And it's very funny. It's, it's yeah. No, that's yeah. Michael Snow is also really funny. Yeah. But anyways, yeah. In terms of difficulty for us, not an issue. And I know that that again, I we're really fortunate to be in New York. I don't know if we were showing the same things in another city. Mm -hmm. I mean, for example, Cinema Texas would show incredibly great work, but in Austin there was always the feeling that you could reach the maximum number of people that would be going to certain things, you know? Yeah. And after that, you got everybody. <laughs> but, uh, and that's Austin, which, in a, which is an incredibly vibrant city for film, um, but ultimately a lot smaller than New York. So mm -hmm. I think that, uh, yeah, we just have, you know, we just have that benefit. And the other big benefit is that right now, uh, the, art, the art world, which is obviously enormous in New York, has there's a great interest in film and video and the moving image in general. So I think that you get a lot of curious people that mm -hmm. that want to see this work and want to learn about this work. Uh, that again might not have been the case 15 years ago. 10, you know, like there and wasn't mean, the same you mean kind of people as far as an audience, the art world audience. Yeah, audience. Yeah. Well, and also I feel like there's something. It's 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 funny that I should use this word because um, we're just like talking about like showing these four-hour Michael Snow films, that it's, um, there's something very accessible about Light Industries program. Like, the work might be very demanding and very difficult, but it's accessible in the sense that, you know, um, 
there's just sort of like one show a week. It's very, there's something very simple and clear about the structure of the program. So someone mm -hmm. who might not, who might be, say, more interested in contemporary art, or that might be kind of where they're coming from, um, and might not know so much about film or experimental film, um, there's something, there, it, it feels like a way in, you know, in the, the program. There, there, there might be, first of all, some artists that they're familiar with um, that have been involved with the, the show, but there might be many others that they've never heard of, but there's, um, as opposed to some, a giant unwieldy calendar with full of names and um, and, turn, and, yeah. and and titles that they're that are completely foreign to them. There's there's you know we, we try and make each individual show um, yeah it, it, accessible in that way so that even if you've never heard of the people involved, there's um, uh, yeah there 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 is a way in. I mean anthology is an extraordinary venue for it's 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 like a second home. I'm there all the time. Um, it's 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 so essential to film culture in New York. But uh, years ago, before I, I even lived here, um, it was kind of a different place in the the '90s. I think that Ed, you said that they didn't even have descriptions; they just had the titles of the films. Yeah. Or is that is that apocryphal? Is that a real? <laughs> no, thing? I think that's true. Okay. Or but like the, 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 that's, or, but even if it is apocryphal, I think that the, the, the idea, or maybe a problem with experimental film, uh, historically, or the exhibition of experimental film, is that. There's something uh, sort of kind of presupposed uh, quality to it, like oh, we're showing these Phil Solomon films, so that's that should that should sort of sell itself, like you you know right. that, you like should the, know who Phil Solomon you should know is, that the work is great and yeah. that you should just just show up. Whereas you know like if we were showing some Phil Solomon films, um, part of our job, our responsibility as curators would be to kind of like articulate what it is that we find kind of so remarkable about this work and why. You know, basically to kind of like con convince someone effectively, or well, just and since you're that a cur and since you're a curated place, you almost make the point: we're not showing this because we know you've heard of them. Yeah. We're not showing this because we need to sell tickets. Exactly. Well, that's that's the other thing to bring up is that we have about, you know, we have fifty actual chairs, <laughs> and then we have, you know. Uh, when we started Light Industry, we were like, we need to buy chairs. So we went to like a party rental place in Long Island. That the, these are things that people have had at many of their outdoor bar mitzvah receptions and everything, you know. And we bought fifty chairs, and we thought, okay, fifty—that's the perfect time. And then we have benches as well, so we can extend it up to about a hundred. But that involves that, a lot of of sitting on the floor, yeah. And standing but room, but this range of fifty to hundred seats for us is perfect because it means that you can have a full house. Of 50 people feels like a full house. I mean, honestly, oh, it, is full house. <laughs> it, is, it feels like, yeah, I mean, but it feels like it yeah. as well. Yeah. Whereas, like, let's say at Lincoln Center, 50 people in the Walter Reed Theater feels like, oh shit, we really, you yeah. know, we need, this is, this feels like a failure, you know? But so psychologically, it just has a different feeling to be in this intimate setting with all these people. Honestly, even 25 people feels really full at Light Industry. And so, but that benefits the work in such a great way because there's just that you can just feel the energy in the room is, is really, really, is really, really good. And you can feel the kind of engagement with the work. And also, because we often have taken place in kind of out of the way settings or, you know, we don't get, this is another big difference with festivals. At festivals, you will often get people wandering into films that they're not going to like. Like they don't like experimental film, but they see something and it's like, oh, it's five o'clock, I have an hour, I'll go in to see this film. And they hate it. And they're just, oh, mm. what is this? You know, whatever. There's this <laughs> random quality that is really, you know, is not the kind of cross-pollination we want. What's nice about light industry is that you have to make the commitment to go to some place that's a little out of the way. You go and sit, you buy a ticket. There's only, a, it really weeds out the people that are not going to make the commitment to the work. And yeah. that benefits the work. And the, the, the artists often tell us that like some, it's more than once people have told us that it's the best screening they've ever had. Because, and I think it's because the audience just self-selects for people who are going to be really engaged and receptive to the work. Mm -hmm. um, and as you know from festivals, that's one of the big downfalls of festivals is it's a bit of Russian roulette with who's going to be in the audience sometimes. You have, to make, you have to make that decision to balance it out where you show something where you know you're going to sell 400 tickets in order to show the thing where 50 people are going to come. And you got to be okay with that and the people who pay your bills got to be okay with that. Yeah, and that, exactly. I mean... New York Underground did this for years in ways that sometimes felt precariously unbalanced, where we right. would have things where, okay, we'll show the big documentary about the band, you know, that might be very good, but it's, you know, that will ensure us that we will sell so many tickets that we can show the program of, like, live analog video mixing 
that maybe has a more selective audience. And that in a, in a festival setting, those things balance out. But, you know, um, but it also means that the people showing up for that band documentary, should they wander into the <laughs> live analog video mixing, might really not be into it and might not be providing that kind of audience energy that should make that show go. You know? Right. I and mean, you don't want to like cross, you need to uh, program against each other anyway. So you don't have people don't want to split an audience yeah fast that again it's, it's, all it's these a, things yeah. i'm happy i'm not dealing with anymore yeah, right, because right. It, let's, it feels, let's say one yeah. nice thing about new york underground is there one thing you miss oh god no i love new york underground i yeah, mean yeah, all yeah. these things that i'm talking about is I, sh I should say the festival business well i general. love everyone being there at the same time i mean that's yeah. something i miss i mean light industry has that but stretched out over the whole year yeah but what's great about the festival is that like boom when the festival when a festival is doing its job really well you know, everybody shows up for this amazing social experience and you see all these people and you catch up. I mean, that's actually what people always say is mm -hmm. their favorite thing about Views from the Avant-Garde at the New York Film Festival. It's like, you know, because it's on that calendar and because it's part of the New York Film Festival, like, people come to it and say, okay, I'll go to that uh, if, I'm, if they live from outside of New York. So they go to that and they enjoy it. Or, Rotterdam felt like that for many years. Mm -hmm. I mean, Toronto's but, wavelengths feels like that. Yeah, which is, again, there are all reasons why festivals are totally uh, essential models yeah. for film exhibition or continue to be. Um, but I think we both just prefer experiencing them as audience members <laughs> rather than as yeah, organizers. Well, as organizers. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you've done, you've done both, so you can at least learn from it. And also, I feel like that, honestly, ha like all of... Uh, because organizing festi a festival like Cinema Texas or New York Underground was so uh, demanding on so many levels, curatorial, kind of administrative physical. and otherwise, physical, <laughs> that we were totally... I mean, that's the other thing about light industry is that it, it's, uh, it really is born out of years and years of, uh, you know, uh, of, 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 of mine, of Ed's, working on these projects and kind of thinking about what really worked with them, and then also just as crucially, if not more so, what kind of failed about them, or what wasn't working about them, or what um, what sort of problems we faced. And so we built light, this thing, light industry, from scratch, with all of this experience in mind. I mean, obviously, yeah. there's still plenty of things that we've done wrong <laughs> with light industry, or sure. things that we, you know, um, would look to kind of like Im improve about it or whatever. But I feel like it definitely um, a lot of its success, I think, can be credited. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, to well, you know, yeah, the fact that we sort of built it in a way like on all this past experience. And if you want to talk about the technical level, like you know, like we're talking about actual technology, that's another huge benefit to the weekly series versus the festival. Let's say you have a festival, and day one you realize there's a sound problem in the theater. You are scrambling yeah. while the shows are happening to try to fix that sound problem in time so that not so many shows. Are, are you know affected by it uh, and then maybe you'll finish it by the, the third day and then some other problem happens you deal with it with the weekly series let's say one week we realize oh wait there's a hum in our speaker if we can't fix it that week we have a whole week to fix it before the next show happens and then the next show it's done and so like you could actually build a model of like how light industry's technological apparatus just kind of slowly grew and perfected itself over time, almost like evolving like some kind of organism until we got to the point where like, okay, the sound's perfect. I mean, like when we started, this is funny to see, literally we had no money. So like the first, I don't know, first number of light industry shows the sound system was my home stereo system I bought in the 90s <laughs> that we patched. It was even, it was a really bad... And you had this mixer that I think was like when you, oh. when you DJ'd, it was, it was like a, a really <laughs> simple, like a, it was just to mix two... It was a crossfader. It was, it was a crossfader, like, you know, yeah. Yeah, it was just, so we jerry-rigged this device out of like a 16 millimeter projector that we had borrowed from a filmmaker and then we had my home stereo and like, but actually it worked. I mean, it worked... It worked fine. It should be. It should have worked better. And eventually, we got better sound. And we, we also got, had a guitar amp that we tried that didn't really oh work out God. for the sixteen millimeter. Yeah, we had a guitar amp for a while. I mean, like um, it was really patchwork the first few. Yeah. But again, you know, this is the thing about experimental cinema that's great though is that people who are filmmakers and who really have worked in film, it's usually a much more resilient medium. In other words, like 
there are certain forms of art that like you have to have it mounted in the perfect way and has to be in the perfect place otherwise you'll never get the right experience um while we don't embrace imperfection like it is a remarkable how resilient cinema can be <laughs> you know as, as long as the lights can go down and you can hear what's happening i mean you know 16 millimeter sound for example is not very complicated it's mono and it's like you know it's especially the older you get with the with the film it's been mixed in a way that can really bear a lot of range of sound equipment so it's um you know generally uh we did fine i don't think people even noticed no one ever complained about the sound we wanted better sound and eventually now we have this great sound setup that we're very happy with but it took again with a festival you know that one week it's all on that one week and if mm -hmm. you're having sound or projection problems and you can't fix them immediately a whole bunch of you know screenings can yeah, be affected by balls. it and it will drive you crazy as right. you've been working on it for a year yeah, you've been working on it for a year and then like boom oh sorry you know one of the speakers right. is blown out you yeah. know how are you finding new generations of just younger people as far as crowds coming to the work and also people making the work well it's a really intergenerational uh crowd at light industry for sure i mean it's funny actually i mean most memorably jonas mechas introduced the screening of peter goldman's uh, echoes of silence which is this um really quite interesting but definitely lesser known um feature from the late 60s kind of new american cinema moment in uh new york and you know, here you have this guy, Jonas, in his 80s, introducing this, um, you know, film from the early 60s, and the mm -hmm. crowd was, the overwhelming majority of them were under 30. Yeah. You know? Jonas um, was the only person in the room, uh, us included, that was alive when the film first shown. Yeah, that's you know? <laughs> true. And Basically. We, did, we didn't expect that. We thought, oh, well, yeah. you know, this is going to be one of those things that we get the old avant-garde crowd that want to see this film again. No, it was shocking. It was so, such a young crowd. We have this great photo from that day where you see Jonas kind of like, you know, introducing the film. And there's just this crowd of really young people around him. Mm. And we're like, what was this about? But the interesting thing is that the film is about youth, you know? It's about a young man being lost in the city and being ver feeling very alone. And it's interesting that, you know, that communicated to people and the, it, was, it made total sense when you saw the film that, that people in their 20s would be watching because it's about being in your 20s. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, again, asterisk New York City. Uh, we have many generations of artists and people involved in the avant-garde who love this work and, and continue to go. I mean, we have a great age range when it comes to our shows in general. Um, that is very much about being in New York, I think. Well, I think that's also reflected in the people who are um, organizing and presenting the shows, mm -hmm. too. And right? we think so, about that very self-consciously. Yeah. We're very self-conscious about when we put the calendar together, we need to have this range of generations in the shows. Often mixing those generations and say, like, person of one generation introducing film of another generation we, we think about things like that yeah definitely so I mean so like you know Emily Royston introducing Joyce Wheeland or something or right. you know um, Emma uh, Hedich introducing Riddles of the Sphinx yeah or, or you know like, how, yeah how often is it the other way where it's an older presenter well I guess you don't have film. I mean I guess it, I guess you definitely ha well um, and well, um, Michelson introducing Pudovkin's Mechanics of the Brain <laughs> how is that an older yeah. <laughs> well that, Pudovkin was definitely older than Annette no, that's the same thing we're talking about, though. He's yeah. talking oh, about oh, wait, the other way around. Older oh, generation introducing someone who's younger. Oh, we yeah. must have done that. that that's true. Um, uh, who introduced like, like Michael Robinson? Did you just happen because he's doing? Oh well, I guess actually the way that Michael the way Robinson that, is not. It's funny. Michael show. is Michael. We he's showed been in many shows. That he was in the very first light industry he's show. Been, I think he was in like the very first three, maybe or something <laughs> like true. that. Um, yeah. he, you know, he was in the first of the first like six shows. I think he was in half of them. But um, I think that that kind of, that, 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 actually the first show is a good example where you have, you know, Michael Robinson, Kurt Krenn, um, there's like a really, it's, it's, it's the, the show itself is very intergenerational. Well, um, and by design. By, yeah, and by design. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that, you know, all of which is to say that the, the audience is um, really a wide range. Like, it, I mean, obviously it's, it is in some ways a very young crowd, but by no means exclusively and the other thing which I think is nice is that it's definitely a lot of people who definitely if asked would not consider themselves you know 
avant-garde film buffs, you know, by any stretch of the imagination. Mm -hmm. But that the um, yeah, you uh, don't have to be a scholar to come to these things. Oh, yeah, no, no, but that's no. the thing. I think that's again, it's, it's like this like funny that. thing. It's like accessible again seems like a really strange word to to use because the work is often so difficult. But I think that what I mean, I think sometimes because I d definitely am very committed to experimental cinema, you know, I've gone to plenty of shows with like seven people in the, the, the crowd, and sometimes there's this sense that like, oh, well, this work is so difficult that obviously you're always going to have a very small crowd for it. And I refuse to believe, or Ed and I both kind of refuse to believe that that was actually the case. Yeah. That in a city like New York, there was actually a huge audience that would be game for incredibly um, challenging cinema but um, they're not just going to like fly blind to something that they've never heard of um, you know mm -hmm. uh, on a whim to go see like if you make the case for um, uh, you know a work's relevance or you know the kind of how urgent it is to see it then people will show up but I, th I think it's also part of our mission is we, we use this phrase all the time is that we think of the cinema as a social space that the cinema isn't a building somewhere that you go to you know the cinema is a, is a social structure you create and part of that social structure is the audience and so we think about that and that's again the one night a week means that we can have hangout time before and after we have a a donation bar where people can like have a beer and watch a movie. You can't wa have a beer and watch a movie in a regular movie theater here. But we construct a cinema, you know, each week. And each week the cinema is put together and taken down. And in that moment that we're there, it's we we want to enhance that social experience and make it, you know, have it be a pleasurable experience unto itself. Um, and I think that that uh, the fact that we, you know, again, it's not like you're walking into this you know, um, mausoleum with like six people in the audience that all seem to know the filmmaker, that can be daunting. Mm -hmm. I love that sometimes. But that's not what Lightning is about. But that's not what Lightning is about. I personally enjoy that I mean, that yeah, experience. we, Ed and I have definitely, as audience members, Ed and I definitely, and we have a lot of that in our future as well, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, I love do, going to shows like that sometimes. However, that's not the kind of show we want to have. It's sure. just, we want to make it feel like it's a, it's a, and we always, there's always hanging out after the film, discussing the film, uh, you know that that to us is is very is very very important. It's part of what we're doing. It's not simply this thing that just happens to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, we design light industry yeah, to make the, those social experiences happen. And that social yeah. experience also uh, engenders a kind of critical engagement with the the work that you're showing. I mean, and, in many ways, the the work itself right. demands um, to be looked at uh, critically, or the whole project of the film is to uh, you know. Um, advance some kind of like critique about uh, um, sort of films like fundamental qualities or well, and one of those fundamental qualities that we that light industry is stressing is that films are events not objects you know and I think that this is to, to get out of the critique of the avant-garde film world and more in the critique of the art world is that often the art world they'll say well the art world has embraced the moving image and nine times out of ten that embrace means slapping on a DVD putting on a monitor in the wrong uh, aspect ratio and throwing it in the corner and to me, like, there can be work that works in that way and that can function in that way for sure, mm -hmm. especially if the artist thinks about that function and has made work for that. But a lot of times, it's not really thought out that well. And uh, the fact is, is that cinema for us is a social event. It's an event that happens in time. It has a start time. It has an end time. It has a, it has a through line that you follow throughout the entire thing. It's it, like music. It has to unfold for you to experience it. You can't simply just say, I saw that film because you walked in and out of a black box installation and saw maybe five minutes and you don't even know what, what was happening in it. You don't know what happened before or after. For us, th that's a, that is an incredibly insufficient way to show this work. And so Light Industry was in some ways putting a stake in the ground and saying, look, we have no money, <laughs> we have no resources, uh, we have only our, you know, th what we have, but we can make this happen in the way that, that the work is supposed to happen. And, you know, big institutions who have all this money, what's your excuse? Why aren't you having film programming like this every week, you know? Well, because it's much easier in a way to, as Ed was saying, just put something um, on a DVD, set it to loop, and leave it to fill up a room, you know? Yeah. And, um, and then uh, someone can waltz in for three minutes and say, and have, you know, 
seen seen the work and so yeah um, which they haven't they have not seen no. the work yeah. it has to be like a 30 second loop if you're going to do that no yeah exactly it it has to, in a no. certain case no so it exactly. has to be made for that specific context which sometimes yeah. work is no obviously. of course or many 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 times like like work is sort of very is designed to be installed and it's it's de- yeah. and it's designed to be a loop of 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 of, of course but, but i think that start to bleed out well and oftentimes too i mean the you'll have work that was say not designed to be exhibited that way and mm-hmm. but that's just that it's just become a kind of default position of like well we have that we want to include this film how do we do it i know let's you know just like we have to fill, fill up a whole room but um i think that uh again again because like the kind of critical engagement that you have with the work you know if there's an opening and um you know, people kind of like waltz in for uh, two minutes. The kind of uh, serious conversations that are kind of going to emerge out of that, which is far less likely that a kind of really uh, sustained and serious conversation around the work is going to emerge out of that kind of context. Yeah. And um, and it's part of a larger show if they're doing that. Yeah, There's probably something well, else going on in the same gallery. Well, so I have to say that cinema as a form goes against the kind of at a glance nature of visual art culture, which you know works fine for painting and sculpture, where you can take something in in this moment, but you can't take in a two-hour film in that moment. That's not how it works, you know. And yet somehow there's this denial of that reality in a way that no one would ever argue for music. Like, oh well, let's say Nico Muley makes a two-hour composition and you put it in a room, no one would ever want to claim, oh yeah, I heard that, because you walked in, heard one minute, and left. Or maybe the better analogy but, is like, an, like a novel. Or know? a novel, even better. That you're you know? like, that you kind of if like you, picked up in a bookstore, read three pages, and were like, oh yeah, it's, it, was, it was pretty good. Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, I saw that, didn't like it. You know, it's like, like no. Yeah. Or like, I, yeah. Read, I read Macbeth. Yeah. Right, exactly. And yeah, with cinema, there's this like denial of that obvious reality that you're not really experiencing that work if you're not sitting through it and watching it and experiencing it in time. And it's so funny, too, because it's not, um, I mean, it's really, in a way, it's not uh, a particularly uh, advanced uh, curatorial model because it should be familiar with anyone who's gone to the movies, you know, well, <laughs> but, like how how yeah. how film could be exhibited this way. But I feel like especially relative to the art world, it does, um, it is kind of the exception, not the rule, that something would be, um, if when film and video is exhibited, it's exhibited as a time, you know, sit down screening with a, yeah. a start time. And in that sense, I mean, light ministry is often posed when people want to write about it as like this new model for cinema, but in some ways it's traditional too. And, and we think about, you know, Walter Benjamin wrote this, I can't remember the exact words, but there's something he said about tradition, that tradition is about how to decide what from the past will move forward into the future to tell us about now, you know? And in some ways, we feel like we didn't invent this model by any way, by any means. It's 100 years old, the Cinematheque model, you know? Mm-hmm. Tickets, seats, start time, end time. This has been going on since the 1920s uh, in terms of like artists running these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, it goes even earlier than that. So it's, in some ways, we're about embracing a model that's a long-standing one, but saying like this model uh, remains relevant because there's a certain kind of work that exists in this model. Well, and also it's about, you know, um, it's really light industry is just being the most recent iteration or the most recent exactly. kind of evolution of something that has been around for a hundred years. Because obviously there are many ways in which, yeah. you know, if someone, you know, uh, traveled through time a hundred years later to light industry, they'd be like, oh my God, this is exactly no, like, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> what, like things are in 19 and 1911. Sometimes um, it is the same. But, uh, that, but that you know, I mean, if you look at say, you know, I mean, the, there's definitely a kind of genealogy in which we see ourselves, which begins with say the kind of self-organized um, uh, little cinemas uh, of the 20s and 30s, and then and cine clubs, and cine clubs, yeah. and then kind of going on to the post-war period, figures like uh, Amos and Marcia Vogel and Cinema 16, um, the legendary film society in uh, in New York. Um, Shortly thereafter, a figure like Jonas Mekas and the filmmaker Cinematheque, um, and then moving on to things um, by the sort of, say, late 70s through the early 90s, something like the Collective for Living Cinema in New York, um, which is a really um, also essential venue for this, this kind of work. Um, and then in the 90s, something like uh, the Robert Beck Memorial Cinema. Um, uh, or micro-cinemas in general in the 90s. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which, which are, are kind of the immediate model that we Drew inspiration, from. and so uh, there are, and there's, and so in some ways there are like many similarities between um, 
all of those endeavors and what light industry does. But then there are key differences too. I mean, there are differences in terms of the kind of work that we show, in terms of how we go about organizing how each show. How we promote show. ourselves. Yeah, how we, how we pr promote the work, the yeah. sort, of, um, sort of conversations that we sort of situate ourselves uh, situate ourselves in. Um, yeah, how would, you uh, say, how would you say the promotion is different? Well, it's completely paperless, which is that's true. Very, very different from both festivals that we worked at, and and most. I mean, that also really helps with being able to do things with, the, uh, with relatively long, not long lead time. Uh, are basically, it's an email list, it's a website, and it's Facebook. I mean, I yeah. don't know if there's much. More. I mean, and mm -hmm. that's enough to get people to come every week. And we started in '08, so in some ways we are a kind of post-social media organization that we didn't think about and we don't you don't have to think about this we didn't design mm -hmm. it for that and it's funny i'm actually I'm, i mean part of me is loath to um talk about say something like the way light industry uses facebook because it, it seems like so quickly you slip into the parlance of some kind yeah. of gross um like like marketing jargon or something yeah. mm -hmm. um but i feel like this and it's also like this like giant corporation, so I don't like to um, say like, oh yeah, like Light Industry, Facebook, they're you but know, it's a reality. <laughs> like, of like, we're so intertwined. Yeah, it's yeah, a reality exactly. of where we're living in right now that that's but what people use. What's notable mm -hmm. about say something like Facebook is that the way people would hear about Light Industry shows um, uh, is kind of interesting. That you know, um, or very kind of relevant to how we've organized the whole project because you know we'll invite I don't know three thousand people or something that are. Mm -hmm. A part of Light Industries group, and then you know a number of them will say like yes, they're going to this screening, and then in Facebook it will say you know four of your friends are going to, um, right? You know, a chron chron Chronicle of a Summer, and so that they mm -hmm. they may have never heard of Jean Rouge, um, and if they saw in you know. Uh, but Larry, Larry's going. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So, yeah. so it's like, oh, well, Larry's going to this Jean Rouge thing. I don't know who that guy is, but whatever Larry's going, maybe I'll check it out. And so actually, I feel like that's a very, that kind of mirrors an ideal situation for light industry, which is how we would want mm -hmm. it to grow, which is that um, uh, we're not like on the the, 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 the street, like singing the, with a sandwich board or something, like singing the yeah. praises of Jean Rouge, but um, <laughs> we're definitely trying to think about like how strategic, like that, you know, if there, you know, X number of people in New York who are familiar with this filmmaker and like their work, we know that it can be, there's a still, you know, mm -hmm. Y number that if they were turned on to it or if they were in a situation where they're presented with the work would be really keen on it. So how can we, mm -hmm. um, in a really kind of like thoughtful way, like bring, um, uh, like bring those people to uh, the work because it's not going to be everyone. Because you know, like like you said, it's like mm -hmm. the, the, a lot of this work is extremely difficult, and a lot of people will not like it. <laughs> you yeah. know, the other, the, but, yeah, and that that's obviously not unique to us. Um, that's something mm -hmm. that we live in now. But what is maybe special about us is because of the how young our organization is. We never had some other model we had to ha then refit what we did into the new model, you know? Mm -hmm. Like this is something that people who run other theaters have actually talked to us about sometimes. That like, you know, when you have a little mini institution and you already have your website, and you have this, you have your website designer or whatever, you have to then kind of really try to change everything to fit into the new social model of media or whatever. We never had to do that because we just kind of emerged with it. The other thing we do, which is very much keeps to our kind of DIY ethos that we take from kind of the micro cinema generation for sure, is that we, Thomas runs the email list and does that himself. I designed and the website myself, you know, myself. I mean, we do everything ourselves so that we don't have to say, call the web designer and be like, could you change this? The webmaster. Yeah, the webmaster, whatever. I mean, that's such <laughs> That's the, more Ed's era than mine. Yeah, but I mean, Calling in other webmaster. words, having that control over all the aspects of our promotion yeah. directly ourselves, that is something that, again, not unique to light industry, but unique in the sense that we didn't have to remake our organization to take that into account. We just kind of did it that way. And it's so mm -hmm. efficient, too, which is funny Very, when Ed and I work yeah. with Sela, if there's some, you know, bigger like institution, museum in the city or a gallery or something, and we're doing something and they, you know, they need to like update something on their website. So there's like, I have to like tell this person and then they tell the person who's updating the website and then they'll kind of update it wrong. And then I have to, and part of me is mm -hmm. just like, God damn it. I just want to do it myself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, let me just like, let it's me like, like crisis, like, just a PDF. Can yeah. I do this myself? Yeah. And it's so, like, and so it's, it's, I think that it really, you know, um, 
and, the, and also I feel like that in working that way, it's reminded me that even if, you know, like Ed and I are, definitely have kind of moonlight, you know, doing work with museums or galleries um, on sure. kind of like a sort of case by case basis, um, that fundamentally I've really come to the conclusion that this is how I want to work. You know, that like in a structure mm -hmm. that is so uh, simple and efficient and ultimately because of that quite agile. And mm -hmm. enjoyable to do. I yeah. mean, like we love doing light industry. It's it's a great joy. That like the heart, like any kind of challenge that would come from not having the resources of, say, a major museum or a commercial gallery, um, I think are completely made up for um, by this just total autonomy. Mm -hmm. You know, um, yeah. and that we to to never have to that, that like a, a nice idea just like, you know like comes to mind and Ed can call me up or I can call Ed up and that can just happen two weeks later yeah. and there's like no fuss, you know, no presenting it to our colleagues, no, yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's yeah. just, uh, it just happens. So we've been talking a lot about New York and uh, the, the positives behind it, having a crowd, having the ability to pull off something like this. Um, but we should say that all of us are from smaller cities and non-avant-garde uh, uh, like we didn't grow up in a gallery. So we should talk about like how, if somebody's in their own town, whether it's a big city or just outside the coast, uh, how can you make a micro cinema? How can you bring work to a town you live in? The thing that's nice about a model like Light Industry is that it could be reconstituted anywhere with, you know, where there's a dark room, a white surface and a plug, basically, you know, that like, Light industry is a reduction of cinema to its most, you know, essential elements. So, uh, a, a projection surface, some folding chairs, uh, a, a film, a projector. So, you know, it's you know, with uh, at, at at minimal cost, you know, anyone could uh, anyone could do this. You know, no matter no matter where they live, and um, and there there are audiences for this. Yeah, exactly. Everywhere. Or I mean, they're also yeah. like like we were saying is that you could you know. Um, there could be you could be in New York City and go to a, a screening with six people, or you know you could be you know the middle of Texas and have a packed house. I think that working at Cinema Texas when I was in my late teens and early twenties was completely the formative experience, basically, of my uh, adult life. One that determined the course um, of all of my future endeavors. And yeah, I mean that was m moving to Texas was. Um, the best thing that could have ever happened to me in terms of being a curator of experimental film. I mean, I think that if you're if you're going to be a, a place outside New York, outside San Francisco, or kind of major centers for things like that, you have there are many things that are great advantages. I mean, one is probably you know access to a space, a large space can probably be a, much more affordable, um, and you also you can program things that, for example, in New York, there's pluses and minuses. I mean, one minus in New York is that there's so many film programs going on, that there's many things that will happen at other venues that we're like, oh, we wish we could have showed that, you know? Mm -hmm. Just because, but we don't have to because somebody else did. Uh, one of the great things about being outside of a place like New York uh, is that you don't have a lot of competition. If you want to show something, uh, you might be, the, you're the only game in town and you could show some amazing stuff. I feel like True False Festival uh, mm -hmm. has really benefited from that and also the kind of programming David Wilson has done over the years. Columbia, Missouri. Because Columbia, Missouri, I mean, there's no, uh, you know, anything from the most famous films to the most obscure ones, you're probably the first person to want to show it there. It's, 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 it's a, it will be a different kind of challenge in some ways, perhaps, but ultimately, you know, if you want to show some challenging independent cinema or whatever you'd want to call it, the task ahead of you is to think about how you're going to cultivate an audience for it. You know, um, all of this advice would compl totally apply to someone who's in Brooklyn as much as it would be to someone who's in, you know, Milwaukee or wherever. Um, I mean, regularity is a big thing. I mean, you've got to say what model we're going to do. The festival model is that, like, you put everything into one week and you ramp it up and you work all year and then you promote the heck out of it beforehand, uh, hoping that it doesn't rain that week and that people will show up. <laughs> Or you can have the more cinematech, light industry type model where you do things every week and you kind of grow an audience, perhaps over time, especially if you're in a place that maybe nothing like that had ever existed. Over time, people will learn about it and will go. But if you don't do it very regularly, uh, they're not going to be able to kind of like 
come to expect it and come to uh, want to go to it on a regular way. So I think regularity is one of the most important things. Once a month might not be enough, you know, in some way, like, maybe you won't get that. If you only do once a month event, you can never kind of build that crowd. You might have to work a little harder and really do something every week or every other week so that people really kind of like come to know it and come to know what you're about and what your tastes are. Mm-hmm. And um, it doesn't have, like you're saying, it doesn't have to be the discovery of the year. No. It has to be a good show. And the other important thing, I mean, the other great thing you can do, I remember in the 90s, first thing to film programming, I would literally like type out a letter and mail to a venue and be like, could we share calendars? And I'd get their calendar, their physical calendar. And so I would keep up on things in a really kind of super slow analog way. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, you can really look at, find the series in other cities that you really think do what you like and follow what they do and kind of learn from that. You know, mm-hmm. We do that with light industry. We're always looking at places like you know, uh, certain art venues in other cities, uh, even places overseas. Um, uh, there's certain kind of uh, theaters we're always seeing what's on their calendar and thinking about it um, because you can learn how other people are doing what they do and maybe there's maybe you could learn you know there might be venues that don't do what you want but you could think about how they organize their shows how they present them and so forth so there's that kind of learning is, is really available to you now in a way that it wouldn't have been years ago running a cinema is a creative act unto itself there's certain kind of there's it, it's a kind of it has an authorship to it and you each venue that is really good has a particular kind of artistry to its programming and uh, the best thing you can do is kind of study that and learn you know what what do I want my programming to be like uh, it helps to have a good name for your movie theater too good name is one. important yeah. yeah did you guys have any failed names oh many we yeah. had many failed names yeah, to all in retrospect, kind of too embarrassing to mention yeah. or record for posterity's sake. Yeah. Um, but light, in, light industry is great. It worked out pretty well. The funny thing is, is that actually that? we began in like an industrial complex where there was actual light industry. Yeah. But we came up with the name before we got there. Yeah, we came really? up with the name before we. Yeah. Knew, we, we came I mean, up with the name before we knew it was happening, and people. Well, in some ways, it was perfect because we were like it really fit the space. But then it was also bad because people would confuse the two places, industry city and light industry, and people would be like, "Oh yeah, I, I, they, you know, they in their minds they would get them mixed up sometimes and think that light industry was the whole space or that yeah. industry city presented this film." And it's like, nah, you know. Another funny thing um, uh, that people would always mess up. They would always they call do. us light industries. Plural, and the funny thing is, is that light in, light industry is a phrase that exists in the world. You know, it's a real like yeah. light industry is a thing. It's a real. It's a kind thing. of manufacturing. But light industries is not a fr- like it's not like light like you would say light industry meaning plural like light the state of like light industry in China or something. But you light industries isn't something that exists in the yeah, world. People always call us light so industries. It's like a weird thing where they will like the, yeah. It's so it's it's. So I strange. think it's because light industry is in Brooklyn and they think about this store called Brooklyn Industries oh. and somehow subconsciously they get it mixed up and think it's light industries. There's some weird mm-hmm. conflation of those. That's two things. my only theory. I have no reason. I've, it happens all the time. People are like light industries. We were on New York One once. Which was a real, very important moment for um, for light industries. Because we love New York One. Um, because we love New York One. And they called <laughs> and, us light industries. And they actually. called us light industries. <laughs> so it's okay. That's yeah, it's a, it's a pillow factory. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, hopefully the new place will work out as great as the last one. I think so. Thanks for doing this. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs>